Hello and welcome back. Here's important new Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic. Unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is April 1st, 2019, also known as April Fool's Day or National DNC Day, Um, because they're all fools. Uh, So we've invited the president to come on, and so uh, I haven't received a declination, nor have I received an acceptance email uh, from his team. But, you know, we're leaving the light on so he can call the radio station in uh, if he chooses anytime throughout these two hours. In the meantime, we'll talk about breaking news, We'll talk about Spygate. We'll talk about Feinstein slash Avenatti and the Costco plea deal coming up. And also discuss things our president um, has been talking about, which is the census. I've actually, I have an article in draft for a couple weeks now where I'm kind of describing this whole census deal. Uh, So I thought maybe we could start from there. And before I continue, just so everyone knows, you can always find me here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on Red State Talk Radio. Now, follow me on Gab, Twitter at Tori underscore says, or join uh, the Red State Talk Radio Facebook group where we have uh, great content sharing and, um, you know, conversations about what's going on, what's to come, and what we can do as citizens to help move things along. So let's start with what our president has been telling us today. Uh, His first... um, But I also want to just go back in time to Saturday uh, on the tweet where he stated Mexico must use its very strong immigration laws to stop the many thousands of people trying to get into the USA. Our detention areas are maxed out and we will take no more illegals. Next step is to close the border. This will also help us stopping the drug flow from Mexico. Now, I have I'm almost done with an article. There is so much information that I wanted to put into it. So I've kind of narrowed it down to point things out. And I thought in the second half of the hour, I can discuss the discovery of this secret program between um, Central American countries, Mexico, and in some shape or form, the United States of America, from what I'm gathering, that uh, Senator uh, Jeff Merkley from Oregon and Representative uh, Carrera from uh, California uh, had flown down to Mexico to discuss. And this program has everything to do 
with bringing in unaccompanied minors across our border uh, in a program just for kids. And in this article, I've actually gotten the identification of a man, a Guatemalan man, who has been paid by U.S. foreign aid, probably USA, U.S. aid monies. And this is possibly why the president, well, not possibly, most definitely um, stopped funding countries like Guatemala, Mexico, El Salvador, because this money is obviously going to these people that are trafficking people across the border through some weird programs that the Democratic Party has put together uh, in coordination with some team called Al Otro Lado, where it's like a bunch of activists, lawyers, uh, just a a mesh of people that are helping funnel illegal immigrants across our border. And keep in mind, the same group al otro lado, if you remember, there were leaked documents that they're actually under investigation um, by the Department of Homeland Security. Some people have actually been deported. Other people simply interviewed or detained. Uh, and that was actually reported by the Democrats asking why uh, there's a dossier on these people. And um, just a reminder, some of their lawyers trying to enter Mexico were not allowed entry to. So we'll get into the border issue in the second half of the show. But I just wanted to make mention of that tweet because that will set the tone for the second portion. Now, one thing that he said is, can you believe the radical Democrats want, can you believe that the radical Democrats want to do our new and very important, want to do our new and very important census report without all the important citizen question, with, without the all important citizen question, why can't I read today? Um, report would be meaningless and a waste of billions, ridiculous, that is in cost to put together. Okay, let me explain to you guys what the census is. So the census is something we fill out as citizens every 10 years. Why? Basically, the census gives a great picture um, of the population, the need uh, that we have, um, you know, if people speak English in the house or not, uh, what you do, do you work, how many kids you have. It just gives like a snapshot. And this goes uh, to uh, Department of Statisticians. And then we have a lead statistician like this is. I have an article. I should publish it. I think it's about time where I was talking about the census. So basically, you know, the office, um, the OMB, Office Management Budget, you know, division of the United States has, uh, you know, a couple hundred million dollars that they allocate based on this report. So, for example, if you notice a city has gone from having a population of like 3,000 people, right, to 10,000 and 5,000 of those are children, you're probably going to give money from that budget to to that city to increase childcare facilities, schools, hire new teachers, um, maybe open up clinics. This is how they work. They use that to see what needs they can meet. Or if you suddenly have refugees that all don't speak English, you might allocate money to that city or town uh, to um, increase their availability for uh, ESL teachers in schools, ESL for adults. ESL stands for English as a second language. And possibly more clinics or cultural, you know, things that they may need. So this is a very important report. Now, the one thing about this report that the Democrats don't want putting on there is for people to acknowledge if they're a U.S. citizen or not. Now, I don't see why that's a problem. They don't want us knowing how many non-citizens are in the country because obviously the number is astronomical. 
And so this is the debate that they're holding on. They don't want us to see how many uh, actual illegal immigrants are there. And also there's a fear uh, that they're claiming that, hey, if they say that they're illegal or they're not citizens, then ICE will check the address to see if they're resident aliens or not and then deport them, which could be the case too. Now, if it was a thing of citizenship, if we wanted to find out or get a a cluster amount or a kind of idea of how many illegal uh, immigrants are in our nation, we can get a good sample size of that simply from the Department of Motor Vehicles. So when you register for your driver's license, you provide your identification, your birth certificate, your social security number, and that all has to come back checked before they give you um, a driver's license. So through those checks, uh, they can determine, because obviously Social Security Administration, if you're an illegal immigrant, you have some form of foreign or temporary number or something. And if you're a legal resident, you have one too. If you're a U.S. citizen, you have one too. You know, that's identified uh, within that number. So when you provide this information, it will populate to the system if you are indeed uh, a U.S. citizen. So we can simply run checks from the DMV to get a sample population size. So like if you ran it in California, for example, right? Uh, You know, when they vote, they create these voter lists, right? That they export them either by electronically or paper files for smaller towns or cities. Anyway, they export them, but they exclude anyone under the age of 18. They like, you know kind of picture it like an Excel spreadsheet and they say exclude anyone under the age of 18. Well, the same thing can be done, exclude those that are not American citizens. And then you can see the difference between U.S. voting citizens, right? People with the right to vote and people that don't. That'll give you a really good sample size number, especially in these big cities like California, you know, like states, I would say, like California, that allow illegal immigrants to obtain driver's licenses. So there goes that. So after, just so you guys understand, I know the census for the Democrats is the argument that this will help put a target on the back of those that are illegal immigrants and it'll be easier for them to be picked up by ICE or, you know, anyone and arrested and deported. So that's the concern here for the Democrats, that they don't want people being deported and they also don't want you and I to know the exact number of people that are illegally in our country and currently utilizing our federal and state tax money to exist, to have free health care, free food, free housing, and any other assistance that we offer them. Uh, because once people see the price tag that it costs, well, people that aren't socialists, uh, it'll... It, it, it will be quite mind-blowing when you realize just how much money we spend. And it would be great to compare that to the cost of an actual wall. Hmm. It'll be pretty interesting. I believe that it'll be quite a big, <laughs> sizable difference. And uh, that can cause great issues uh, with the Democrats campaigning. Speaking of that, what is going on with the candidates? Like, 
we haven't heard from Kamala after this whole Jesse Smollett thing. It's, it's, it's as if she's gone under a rock. Elizabeth Warren, she killed her campaign when she just started it. Um, Beto is like, where is he? Booker, please. Spartacus will never get any votes he needs. Now we have creepy Joe Biden coming out. He's the only one that's well-known enough, but he's so controversial. He sniffs hair, touch children inappropriately, tell senators like Senator Heidkamp, spread your legs. Uh, you know, I, I had written an article that was inspired by Richard Armand Mills, who is a great guy. If you're not following him, you should. He's at Ramrans. That's R-A-M-R-A-N-T-S. Uh, super cute guy, super talented, and super funny, too. Um, he created a Twitter moment back in 2017. And it was so astounding the way he created that moment with all these videos put together. And I remember, see, you know, revisiting that Twitter moment when talk of Biden, you know, early in the fall of him throwing his hat in the race was going. And I started to write up an explanation of how Joe Biden is a sexual predator, but it was difficult to demonstrate, right? Because all you have is videos and pictures. How do you get your point across? Because there's people saying, oh, you're just taking it out of context. I don't see how you take that out of context. So I stumbled upon an article again where it analyzed how predators groom their victims, what their characteristics are step by step. And in that article, um, you can find it at torysays.com. You could go into the search bar and just write the word Biden and it should come up on the search results. I demonstrate to you how he is a textbook predator step by step. And I picked videos that depict the behavior of each of those steps, just so that you understand how eerie, creepy, and wrong this is. Um, so that's a pretty interesting article. So anyway, Joe Biden is the only one that we see kind of coming up. I mean, Gillibrand, like she's working out. She's so weird. I mean, they have so many candidates. I heard of someone in Washington wanting to run. Then this other no name, like there's so many people coming in. And like I've said from the beginning, in the end, it's going to be Bernie Sanders and the gang, but Bernie Sanders, San Sanders, Sanders will not be elected. He may be the choice, but he will either get out of the race for some reason. Maybe, you know, he's too old and he dies or something happens or for some reason he doesn't get the vote uh, in March of 2020 from the DNC, whenever the convention is. I don't know when they're doing it. What is it, April um, <clears throat> of 2020 or something like that? I don't know. But he will not be the person running against the president. So I'm pretty much banking on the fact that Yang is the only candidate that they have. Yang panders to the socialists that like Bernie and the communists. And he's also young that attracts the um, disoriented and no direction liberals. So for me, that's the only candidate that I see feasible. I mean, Joe Biden, he will never survive the creepy Joe comments. He will never survive the video footage, the audio throughout the years. And he won't even survive information that you can find on the FBI database. Um, someone had posted the other day, and I saw it, that even JFK had called Joe Biden a traitor 
I'll tweet that out during the break. It's actually a government document. So there's a lot on Joe Biden to make him a big no. I mean, they could throw a lot of money behind him and they can try to get him elected, but there is no way he would beat Donald Trump. President Trump is a stellar president. He has provided us jobs. He has provided us inspiration and empowerment. He has uh, beat the odds of success, uh, considering that he's had this Mueller investigation looming over his head, disallowing him to do many of things. Now that that's gone, we're seeing a lot more activity in regards to accountability from people within the deep state network or the so-called cabal, as we like to say, because they're cabalistic, right? The way they act. So this deep state fourth unelected branch of government that has global connections is now under extreme panic because suddenly people are getting picked off the grid and they're starting from city to state level to federal level. People are getting fired. People are getting indicted. Um, and it's all coming to fruition. And the thing is one, one thing that our president has said during, um, his interview with Hannity and during his last rally in Michigan was that there are so many people, not just the people that worked directly with his campaign, but people around the nation, people like you and I who have voiced our concerns, who have filed our reports, who have chased and claimed that have had their lives destroyed. And I've said it many times before, you may be the best person in the world, but the minute you lift your head and shout at opposition, they will manufacture, they will close you in a box. Like, look what they did with Mueller. They took a global initiative to block in our president, to overthrow our president. You think you're a problem? <sighs> Simple, uh, you know, workout with their you know, social media companies, websites, whatever cooperation they have, they can box you in and throw away the key really quickly. They can do anything. And that's what's scary. And for the president, that's where I was scared. When you have a special counsel, you have no right to query it oversee it, investigate it or probe at it unless your attorney general does that. And for us, Gen, you know, Attorney General Jeff Sessions recu recused himself. He knew he had to recuse himself because he was part of the committee that was questioning that Russian lawyer that was uh, that supposedly met with um, uh, the president's son, Don Jr. He knew he was going to recuse himself, and still he took the offer. When he should have said to the president, "I'm so sorry, I'd love to take the offer, but I'm going to have to recuse myself." Um, you know, in this Russia investigation that they've already started in 2016 on you. So since I know about it, I won't be able to oversee it. Could have done it, but he didn't. Instead, we had a deputy attorney general who was in a meeting talking about wires and trying to, you know, get our president out using the 25th Amendment. This is really ridiculous stuff, guys. This is dangerous stuff. So imagine as a president to what lengths they went, you think they won't do something to an average Joe that has tickled the wrong person. This is what he was referring to when he said it, because he listens to us and he watches us and he protects us, all of us.
And the thing is, over decades, we've been groomed to know that, you know, we can be held accountable. You know how many times? Oh, there was this one time that I remember I was... um in the state of Oregon, my dog had run away, right? And a common thing with my lab, if he sees a door open in the backyard, that's it. He's like gone. So I'm looking for my dog and I find him and I come up, you know, to the yard where he's peeing on some flowers by the window and not to be like a peeping Tom or anything. I'm just going to get my dog. I see something very disturbing going on. So I call the police and the thing is, is that when I called the police to, you know, state the crime, obviously the person was arrested and it was like this really weird thing with a child. I don't want to get into it on air because it's really creepy. Um, I was like, dude, my dog ran away. I've been walking like for a while chasing him because every time he'd stop and wait for me, the minute I'd get like a foot away, he'd bolt again. He was peeing on these flowers here. There's surveillance around from other houses. You can see it. And that's why. So I felt like I was being questioned as to why I reported it and how I came across the information. So people, just so you understand, that person that was arrested was actually a city council person. I found that out a couple weeks later. I didn't know. My dog was just peeing on his little bush. But the bottom line is, is that they've conditioned us to feel that if we speak up, that we're going to be in the crossfire. And they do that. I'm mean, look at how many people wanted to speak up in the FBI or the CIA, which I still say we must dismantle it. It's done. It's like such a bosh. And it's so the, the lines are so gray that we just need to get rid of it. We have our intelligence community elements. We have them sectioned off. There's 17 of them. And then those have their spinoffs for certain projects. That's how it should work. We should not have like this middle ground where it's like law enforcement slash intelligence. I think that's wrong. But anyway, I digress. So the president was trying to demonstrate to the people that he understands all of you out there. All of you that have been silenced on platforms, all of you that may have lost jobs or friends or family, or even been, you know, suddenly pulled over a hundred times because you reported something that he sees it and he's trying to fix it. And hopefully that gives empowerment to people. If you see something, say something, you know, um, a lot of people just don't bother because they're like, what's the point? They're going to get away with it anyway. It's not true. They don't always get away with it, especially when the good guys get the information. When the good guys get the information, everything can happen. Good things can happen and we can take control. What people don't seem to understand is that we're in charge. Even of the, even the investigators have to answer to us because we pay them, right? They get paid by our taxes, uh, by our labor. So they have to answer to us. This is something key that he's been trying to push across, uh, in, in a nice manner. Um, and in a more macro manner, right? This is more micro, right? You're in control of every single thing that happens in our country. Whether you believe it or not, that is the core of the way we run a country, our country, because it's a democratic republic. We are a republic. That means that we control everything. Every email, every text, every call that we make, uh, that, that government officials make on our Government servers is ours to see. Kind of like if you work for a company, you know, 
any email you send from your company email, any searches you do on your computer, your company has the right to those communications because it is their server. They're responsible for it. They pay for it, right? So you don't, you know, watch porn or send, you know, uh, opposition research on other companies or, you know, sell proprietary information from your company's email because that's just dumb because they have the right to it. The same thing goes for government communications. And we see that it's these government communications and exercising that right of collecting data like text messages, emails, phone calls, web history, web travel from these people on government servers that we are able to determine how this Mueller investigation began. So this is, this is something that is coming to light slowly and it's coming in slow doses. And for a lot of us, it's too slow. We want it to see it move faster, but unfortunately we can't. It has to be done in a slow manner because this is how people that cannot fathom the concept of being duped for decades by people that were elected to serve them. People that have been appointed to protect and serve them have indeed gone against their interests purposely for their own benefit or for joined benefit or for a global benefit, but definitely not yours, mine, my child's, your neighbors. And this is a phenomena that we've seen, um, take a rapid uptick, uh, in late 2018 where people have said enough is enough, where people are frustrated and even yelling at the president or saying he's not doing his job because he's not holding them accountable fast enough. That's because we had this Mueller investigation going. Now that that's gone, that pretty much allows our president to start redacting these FISA warrant applications one by one and holding people, countries, agencies, officials, elected or not, accountable. For me, the ultimate goal, Tim Peach 44, because he had his finger in all of this. I'll see you all just after this break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978. 855-700-2978. 
855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with My Pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Welcome back to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Um, so where I left it off is the challenges uh, that our president has had. Now, those chains of this dubious, you know, special counsel that for some reason, uh, Mueller was acting as if he was a superior officer. It wasn't until... July of 2018, that a judge actually defined him as an inferior officer and that he must work within the scope. And this was due to his overreach in subpoena power and demands uh, to question people. And this is this is extremely imp- this is extremely important to note, okay? Because we had an investigator that had a scope. Yet no one was arrested for the scope that he put out, which is just treacherous, if you think about it. A total miscarriage of justice. Um, It's as if someone, uh, you know, is investigating you for, I don't know, um, um, breaking down your neighbor's fence. And that's what they need to investigate. But in that investigation, they find that the cousin of your cousin of your cousin stole a lipstick from CVS like five years ago. You know, that's not right. It isn't right, is it? Because you're supposed to stay in narrow scope. Justice is all about having boundaries. And just because you have the ability. So Mueller had the ability for overreach. He had the ability to issue crazy subpoenas. He had the ability to issue national security letters. He had the ability to access foreign intelligence. He had the ability for a lot of things. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. In the military and in the intelligence community and even in law enforcement, it's called need to know just because you you have the clearance doesn't mean you have access to it. Okay. So now this is, we're at April 1st. It's April 1st. And I tell you, March moved quite quickly. It's like, 
it was suddenly the first week of March and now it's April. This month, time-wise, and time is, as I said, very fluid, elastic, and more in tune with how we see our reality, you're going to see it slow down. It's going to be pretty slow, and you're going to be like, whoa, Tori, you were right. Why? Because we're going to have an April, we're having April showers. As you can see, the mainstream media is constantly trying to recycle previous information, trying to create new narratives for the Mueller investigation, like Jake Tapper's sorry, sad, oh, I don't see where CNN did something wrong. We were just reporting the facts on Russia collusion. It's not like we were pushing the collusion theory. But, you know, besides that, the Mueller report doesn't exonerate the president. It's like... Seriously, he could have put anything he wanted there, you know, doesn't exonerate, doesn't mean he's guilty, doesn't mean that. But the bottom line is there's nothing there. There was no there there and they're still pushing it. And literally these guys that you've elected, you know, in the past, both establishment Republicans and Democrats, because let's not leave the Republican Party out of it. Right. They are the worst ones. They're the ones that smile like Lindsey Graham calling for a second council. That is the biggest swamp monster, not Pelosi who can't string a sentence along. But keep in mind, all of these people in the background are popping whiskeys and chitinging the cups and laughing at you and I because we're so dumb to applaud them for doing what they've been doing. They're mocking us. Schiff is mocking us. Swallowell is wa- is mocking us. Pelosi has no idea what to do. She knows she's going down. Her whole family is being, you know, fleeced as we speak. You know, these people are in full panic mode and they're still laughing at us because we don't seem to realize just how much control they have over the access of information we are able to obtain. They don't seem to put it out there for you. Nobody does. Think about it. And I've said it before. Simply go and do a search through Google and ask a simple question like Mueller report, you know, or something dumb, like how many people has Hillary Clinton killed? And the first thing that'll come up on Google is like Snopes or something like that. But if you go to DuckDuckGo, you might see some deep dives about things of former rape victims of Bill Clinton or his brother on how they're connected to Hillary Clinton or these doctors that went missing in Haiti, which I'm, uh, you know, the ones that came out and spoke against or Haitian persons that died or that UN official that was to testify against Hillary Clinton and died the day before by way of barbell while he was working out, it crushed his neck. So we're supposed to believe all these coincidences that have been strung behind anyone that is coming out controversially speaking about Hillary Clinton. So it makes one think, but if you just look for it, not saying that it's true, not saying its fault but if you ask me you know it's statistics right it's math i mean it's not coincidences when there's a pattern but bottom line is when you search you'll see how different the results are i i wrote um an article called orwellian warfare and you can find that on torysays.com where i actually took screenshots and you can see that google populated only four pages where duckduckgo had thousands upon thousands and they were relevant to what i was asking this is how they control us by way of access to information 
They're they're limiting our access to information. Go check your new li- go check your libraries. How many of them actually have old books that are not fiction? That are nonfiction. That's what you need to pay attention to. They're removing your ability to factual information and they are controlling the flow of information you have and they're laughing at you while they do it. Pretty intense, right? Um, today I wanted us, um, in this, in this portion of the show, while I wait in case the president wants to call to two, one, five, eight, six, seven, eight, two, five, five. I invited him over a month ago. Um, I said, feel free to call in and, you know, questions that I would ask him would be kind of like, Hey, what'd you have for breakfast? Or, um, you know, uh, do you get any special slippers at the white house? You know, things that we want to know, casual talk to get to know our president, not the garbage that he's going through. I mean, for me, the most stellar question I would ever ask him is how are you doing? Right. Isn't that like the most important question we can ask him? How are you doing? You wake up in the morning and you don't know if someone that is standing next to you or offering you a glass of water wants to take you out or wants to quench your thirst. Could you imagine how stressful that is? For me, uh, it's mind boggling. How are you dealing with a cabinet that you don't know if you can trust? But obviously I'm not going to ask him those questions because he's never going to answer those. Because then that's like kind of asking a question like, oh, how many times did you beat your wife (laughs) when you've already said you never beat her? So, you know, how do we get to know our president? What he likes to do. Have you bowled in the White House yet? Um, You know, do you have a favorite um, show that you like to watch? You know, things like that. I've got a bunch of questions from you guys, too. Um, You know, just in case he comes on. Because I know he's busy. And that's why, you know... It's April Fool's and I thought, you know, I'll invite him on April Fool's Day and if he doesn't show, it's okay. It's April Fool's, right? But still hoping. (laughs) We never know. So anyway, let's talk healthcare. So healthcare is a big, big topic. And and I said last year that um, healthcare is going to kind of drive the elections for 2020. We all know that there's think tanks that the president has in discussing how we can fix this. I've been doing a lot of thought into it, you know, obviously working within that field, um, both in an active and passive capacity. And I can tell you that healthcare is one of the most intricate things that we can tackle. The easiest way out, and I have to say it, is universal pay care system. That is the easiest way out to make it streamlined, but it's not the right way out of this mess because with a single healthcare payer system where the government runs it, we'll see more, you know, increases in death panels, more increases in delays. I mean, we see it with the VA, right? The issues they have in getting appointments, the restrictions, uh, you know, how they are like, well, you need to try all of this before we'll even look at that. Um, you know, we see it with our elderly who are in some kind of socialized medicine plan. That's what I call it. HMOs. HMOs don't allow them to see doctors outside of their network. They don't allow them to get medications outside their network. They have to be within the network. And here's the weird thing. They're obliged to go to one doctor to get a referral to another doctor. And then when they go to that other doctor and they're like, Hey, you know, 
I used to, on my old plan, take, you know, let's pretend for diabetics, right? They used to take the brand name Glucophage and it worked, right? And then the doctor tells them, yeah, I understand what you mean, but your insurance won't cover the brand name. So you need to uh, see how it works with metformin. And if that's good enough, then you can't switch to it. If it's not working, maybe we'll try it. This is how socialized programs are. They're not going to spend the money on you if they don't deem it necessary. And there's tons of people as we speak this moment on a phone debating with their insurance why they won't cover a surgery, why they won't cover an MRI, why why they won't cover a double mastectomy, why they won't cover medications, because they decide. Your doctor obviously can go to bat and write a letter and tell them I'm their physician for so many years. And I say, your doctor that's reviewing thousands upon thousands of applications, you know, to have exclusions in your insurance policies, um, I is, is talking rubbish and my patient needs this. But the success rate is like, less than 10%. So that's the problem with a universal healthcare paying system is that you really don't have a say in your health. You don't have a choice in your health. Other people decide for you. Okay. So that's that. So how do we fix it? Well, the number one thing that we can see is who's between me and my doctor. If I see, if I meet a doctor that speaks eloquently, that listens to me, that has great bed, you know, bedside manner, and I want to see him before I can, I have to check if my insurance covers him. So my insurance has gone to this doctor and said, I will negotiate a contract with you. Every time you see a patient, we'll only pay you $120 and that's all. Do you agree or not? And the doctor turns around and says yes or no. If he says no, your insurance will not allow you to go and see him. You will have to pay an out-of-pocket cost. Keep in mind, if you go out of pocket to see a physician, they might just charge you 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. You can get a cash price for them. And they'll look at your income, look at what you do and, you know, work with you. If you don't have insurance, obviously not a lot of people do that. So this is the way insurance works. So where's the problem? It's in insurance. Why do we have a person in the middle between you, me and my doctor to make money off of me going to my doctor? Do you see what I'm saying? That is the problem that we've created an, a, a middleman to be skimming off the top. So you, your doctor will only be paid $120 for visiting them, but you've paid a copay of $500. So how many times are you going to see your primary care physician twice a year? So they've just made a profit off of you, thousands of dollars profit of off of you just to go and have access to a primary care physician. That they've only paid $240 from, but they have been, you know, taking thousands of dollars from you. Oh, let's not forget. They also have these deductible things. So you're bound to have paid the full 120 anyway. So this is the problem with insurance that what they are is they're like, they're like the mafia, right? You remember how many movies are out there, guys, we could point to so many where, you know, people go into neighborhoods and say, do you want our protection? Then you need to pay us 5% of whatever sales you make. You pay us 5% of whatever sales you make. You keep your business open. Think of it that way. That's basically what they are. Mobsters. They're coming in between you and your, and, and healthcare and your access to healthcare. 
there and telling you how much, who you can see, how much, and that's it. And you can't go and see one directly. Now, one will argue, right? Well, how many doctors are really signing contracts for $120 visits? Not a lot. Because some, some insurance companies will pay $300 because they have higher paying customers, right? Or higher deductibles. This is how intricate it is. So many variables, right? But, and the other question is, well, if a doctor opens up their own facility, right? They've got student debt, like nobody's business. They want to pay it off. Why would they just work for like $50,000, $60,000 and buy equipment that's in the millions to help you? you know, and, and perform services and spend on cotton wool, you know, wipes, injections, needles, you know, oxygen tanks, scanners. Why are they going to spend all this money and just take 50 bucks from you? That doesn't make sense either because they have a lot of debt. So this is why the insurance companies were created to make the people that provide you healthcare services able to charge you more money and they take a cut from it. So this is why I say we have to exclude health insurance. So let's pretend that we do exclude health insurance. Then what? We've got a doctor that just came out of med school, just finished their internship in internal medicine and opens up a little office. He charges you a hundred dollars per visit. He's like, that'll cover my receptionist. That'll cover my time. That'll cover the little paper cover that I put on the bed and how to throw away. Cause you sat on it. The tongues presser, right? The, the ear, you know, the replaceable thing where he checks your ears, the thermometer, the replacement, you know, the little plastic thing they put in your mouth that is a throwaway. So these are all costs, right? That they have to factor in when they come up with a price. And this is what you have to pay for. And the reason that these costs for, you know, um, needles, you know, cotton wool, you know, even toilet paper or hand sanitizer, whatever a doctor's office may have are extreme. Why? Because of insurance. So these manufacturing companies or manufacturing things, their margins are huge. Like to produce a million, you know, intramuscular needles that are longer, thicker, you know, and go way in, you know, to produce a million of them, maybe it'll cost them a thousand dollars, you know, for materials and running it through the machines. So they have a million needles, but they'll sell 10 of them to your doctor for $10. Do you see what I'm saying? So what we have to do is regulate costs. We have to be able to get into these manufacturing companies that provide medical equipment and tame their margins, make it fair. And how do you do this? By introducing more manufacturers. And the majorities of of these manufacturers are not even manufacturing their things within the United States. So imagine if a company sprung up right around the corner from your house, a manufacturing company that produces, I don't know, cotton buds or, you know, paper that you can put on, you know, uh, examination beds on doctor's beds, which is way cheaper. If the doctor can buy it at a cheaper cost, it will cost you less to go see him. So this is where we need to target 
It's not so much sorting out insurance. It's so much sorting out the manufacturing companies of medical supplies and medical equipment. Like, why does the MRI scan, you know, cost like, you know, $20 million? How can we subsidize that? How can we fix the cost for it? How can we get it cheaper so hospitals don't have to pay so much money? How, how, how? And you know how? We have the National Institute of Health. Now, if the government likes to do their, the government loves to do research, right? Tons of medical research going on. Some we don't know about, some we do know about. Then we've got some black type, you know, ops know about, right? We hear about them 50 years later, like how they used to like um, create angry people, right? Anyway, so they do a lot of research. I don't see why the government can't purchase these machines and provide them to hospitals at no cost and say, well, whatever films you have, we want you with non-identifying personal health information, the slides, so we can use whatever it is or the films so we can use it for whatever research we may come up in the future without personal identifying information. Now, someone might say, well, that's a good exchange. We're already doing that. So that's what's weird. So what's weird is if you actually read HIPAA, uh, you know, the, the HIPAA regulations and read them, like really read them and look at your tr consent to treat that you sign at your clinic or your hospital. It clearly states that they will share your information with federal entities under federal laws, the way they're allowed to share your information for other research and blah, 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 blah. So they're already doing it, but who's making money? I mean, is a hospital getting anything for it? No, not really. They don't really need to. I mean, obviously they apply for research grants, but why? right? This is where everyone's making money. And we even have hospitals as nonprofits, like St. Vincent's in Portland, Oregon is a nonprofit. They make over $14 billion a year and pay zero taxes. This is like the biggest money making machine ever. You understand? So if anything, the president to tackle this would just eliminate the need for healthcare insurance, regulate manufacturers, like from needles to baby wipes to tongue pressers to everything and say, if you make it in America, you will get zero property tax for building your manufacturing company. You will use wood from Oregon because they shut down the lumber mill and you will make all the tongue pressy things for us, all of them. And you will have them at a good cost for our medical facilities throughout the United States. Boom. You just created jobs and you just lowered costs and you've just contributed, um, you know, labor and money from another, um, you know, natural resource we have. I'm just saying, these are things that we can do. We can do it within. And do you see what I mean? This is what we need to do. We need to tackle why the costs are so high. Forget the student debt. That's another thing. If you're a physician and you do this, but you do this, maybe we'll forgive some of your student debt. And why is medical school so much higher in cost than other schools? That means that people, certain demographics are being excluded from education. So, 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 so. So we can rectify that. Focusing one by one, manufacturers is where we'd start. Eliminate healthcare insurance completely, pharmaceutical insurance completely, and regulate the manufacturers.
We have pharmaceutical companies, like for example, one is Teva, right? They've got um, their Israeli, uh, they have um, a company down in Mexico, they pump out pills. So say you're taking blood pressure medication, it costs them one penny for each pill you get, but they charge you 50 cents for each pill you get. Not you, um, the pharmacy that buys it for you. So then your insurance comes in that you've been paying, and instead of charging you, I don't know, $30 for a 30-day supply. The insurance has a deal with um, CVS that says, well, since you buy them in bulk, and in essence, you're not paying a dollar per pill, you're only paying, you know, 70 cents a pill, you know, you can buy more if you sell them to me for 60 cents a pill. That way, I can give them to my customer who will pay $5. So this is how everybody makes money. They make it really intricate, lots of layers, kind of like um, those pyramid scheme things, right? You, You heard of it where it's like, Oh, if you sell, you know, this workout shake to your friend, then you can get free shakes and then your friend sells to other friends and then the other friends, and then you become rich and you're at the top of this pyramid and all the other people are selling things and you're just taking a cut from every lower level on that pyramid. Well, this is exactly what healthcare is. It's a hot mess. And they try to incorporate it as a legal obligation to strip you of money. So not only are they taking property tax, taking our taxes from income, taking a fee, and regulations and all this stuff, they're fleecing us that way. They come along and they're like, well, we're going to fleece you a little bit more, right? That's what Obama did. He's like, if you don't buy health insurance, then you're going to be paying a fine anyway. And suddenly costs are overbearing because this is how you create a huge gap between the 1% and the rest of you. Because you make it so that it's so financially um, overbearing that you can't handle it. You just can't. You're done. You're just like, I can't anymore. I'm done. I can't. I have no more money. I can't get my pills. Can't even get my insulin. Can't get this. No needles. No this. No that. You know, and suddenly you're broke and you're homeless and you're dependent on the state. So you're, uh, you're done. That's it. There's so many families out there with a $200 bill that could annihilate them right now. Let's pretend you suddenly got a $200 bill out of nowhere. You know, out of a hundred people out there, maybe listening, 80 of you would have a problem with that. That would include me too. Cause I've got like college tuition payments, house payments, you know, student debt. So this is something that is a real concern. So imagine if you're just one doctor's bill away from being in the poorhouse, and this is reality. So, you know, making healthcare affordable is important, but what we have to focus on is making it sustainably affordable, meaning starting with the manufacturing, why is it that the costs are so high? Why is there so much, um, so much money being made off simple things. And like I've said before on another show, those of you that have had babies or your children have had babies, take a look at the statements itemized from the pregnancy, from the birth, from the delivery, and you'll see that they're even, they even charged the dad or the mom, whichever your family situation may be a holding fee to hold your baby. They will charge you. That is like a real thing. And you're thinking what? And yeah, because the holding fee will include your gown that you're going to wear, the cotton wool that you might use, the diaper, the bottle, the box, the, the, the chair you're sitting in. 
it's pretty intricate. Anyway, we're up to the break. I'll see you all right after this short break. God bless. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic. Unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back to the second half of the Tory Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. And uh, this second half, I just want to continue a little bit on healthcare, and we're going to talk about Costco, Feinstein, how that leads us to the border, too. So... Um, we were talking about healthcare over the break. I got a lot of um, messages, and I know my email is still not working. Um, but some people were referring to the HMO fraud. I said it. That is the test of socialized medicine, and how far um, they can actually take it to control the access we have to healthcare. And like we said, the minute we have the ability to compete. The ability to have manufacturers compete for pricing, the, the healthcare costs will dramatically drop. Now, if we want insurance just because it happens, you know, like emergency ER insurance that they used to have in the past, I still think that's a fraud. There should be a way that costs um, are able to outweigh um, the need. So, someone that may need extensive surgeries, transplants, etc. Remember, these doctors, when you're a physician, say you're a surgeon, your record is built by the surgeries you do, right? So uh, they say, how many hours of kidney transplants have you done? How many have you done in your life? Some of them will say they've done maybe four, right? Because it's really far and apart. I'm just saying, this is just an example. That's not a real number. But they are actually benefiting from what they do. And when they, when they're really good at what they do, this is how you get, you know, money from government entities, from product development, from device companies. Why are you going to take it away from the sick person that you just making them better, which is what the oath is all about, are capitalizing on their pain? You know, I, I, you know, I love my TV, right? <laughs> I love my TV. And I was watching this show called Good Moms. Uh, one of those binge watch things. Um, and it showed women that were on crime sprees for whatever. But in there was one woman where her child had like um, 
kidney issues and if she was on medicine that cost $10,000 a month, you know, she could survive. So she went to start working with gang members and money laundering and all this stuff. So that way she can help her daughter uh, become better. Now, at one point, her daughter needed a kidney transplant. So what she did was she and her friends decided that they're going to hit this place up and take exactly what she needed because they would not book the surgery, even though they had a kidney that would save this child's life if they didn't pay their copay of like $87,000. Is this the type of people we are? No. You would refuse a child to live for the sake of money. They were, you know, as a couple, because her husband who was training as a police officer didn't know that she was committing all these crimes. But as a couple, you know, they were like, dude, we'll just write the check and, and, and I'll take the hit and I'll go to jail. I don't care as long as my kid can have a life. This is where we've come to. That's the point. Why is it expensive? These doctors that come, that, that execute these surgeries can have so many other resources from research and development companies, tech companies, manufacturing companies to, uh, get their take and their assistance because they're the ones there doing the surgery. So if you're creating a medical device, you're not going to go to some snot nosed student or grad student for the source of information. You go to the doctor who has, you know, cut humans open and knows what it's like to take the organs out and can tell you, ah, maybe your device will work like this. Let me work with you. There's other ways they can make their millions if they need to, because they're so much more educated and deserve to have so much more than everyone else because they've put the work into it, right? They've put in work, lots of hours and time in studies and practice. But, you know, on the backs, if you make money off of someone else's pain, it's never going to keep you happy. I mean, yeah, it's better to cry in a Lamborghini than it is, uh, you know, on a street corner. But the bottom line is that money will never find roots. If there's hard work and gratification of doing good at the end of the day without knowing that, hey, I replaced that kidney, that kid's going to live. But I also made like a hundred grand on that. And that family has like no money. It kind of nullifies the all doing good something, right? And it's not the doctor that usually does it. It's the hospital that wants the money, but you get what I'm trying to say. We need to hit the manufacturers. We need to regulate the costs. And for those that are more, you know, substantial in cost, you know, to keep them alive, um, for transplants, for uh, cancer therapy, AIDS therapy, all that, those treatments can be subsidized with other private companies. I mean, I really wish I was part of one of those think tanks. <laughs> Um, like officially, because this is how we fix it. You're a top surgeon, you know, you're the top urologist and you can, you know, help women when they grow older and their bladder wants to fall out of their vagina. You want to be the top guy that, you know, fixes prolapse uteruses and all that. Well then do the surgeries, get the experience, and then they will come to you. They'll say, Hey, you've done like 20, you know, um, uterine, you know, surgeries because they're falling out of women, you know, when they're older 
uh, I'm a device company and I'm trying to create a device that'll be less painful, less this, less that, you know, on the patient will pay you money so you can help us, uh, fix it or give us ideas and have you on the board or be part of it. That's how they can make money. Not off of the old lady who's 75 years old, who has worked all her life and can't afford the copayment of 20% that Medicare demands she pays. Uh, so that's how we fix healthcare by creating competition, by creating competition for every single thing from the toilet paper in the doctor's office to the needles, to the ultrasounds, to everything. And having these research facilities that are government funded in order to promote well-being and health of our nation, funding that the hospital shouldn't have to pay for it. I, th I think the government can buy MRI machine and for every, you know, so many people, you have so many MRI machines and, you know, the costs are lower. They don't have to pay for it. All they pay, they charge you for, I guess, is for a radiologist to sit in his house and read the films on his computer and dictate a report. I'm just saying these are these are things that we can do. So I'm pretty glad that the president is taking it on. But if I don't see that insurance is pulled out of everything, it's never going to work. We just need to cut that cord and get rid of insurance. Insurance is not necessary. Well, you need it for your car, but not to insure only yourself. I mean, if you want to pay the extra, insure yourself, you know, your vehicle in case you mess up, but it's for the other person and being unhealthy isn't affecting someone next to you, I guess, unless you have something <laughs> like AIDS and you're having sex in brothels unprotected or whatever, but I'm just saying Insurance is for in case stuff happens and you don't have the money and you're willing to make small investments. And that's the idea that they push to us with healthcare. And it's turned into this monster where they're just leeching off of every single dollar we make in the, with the hopes that if we do get really sick or our children get really sick, that they'll have exceptional coverage. And in reality, they don't. So shifting gears... Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Diane Feinstein and this plea deal uh, that uh, Costco uh, signed. So they've reached a plea deal uh, with Costco. So Jackson Costco, as we know, is the son of Mr. Costco, who is like super, super rich and very well connected uh, with the Feinstein family. Uh, big contractor out in the West, build buildings for, you know, San Francisco University, one building actually named after Feinstein's husband. And so he um, is going to be, um, he's already signed the plea deal from what I uh, received this morning information on. He signed this plea deal. Now, just because you're privileged or have connections or cry to, you know, the judge that you don't want to go to jail when you've been caught, you know, removing massive amounts of sensitive information from the Senate itself, you know, um, that's not good enough. That's not justice. Justice is, yeah, you pay for the crime you do and, you know, you need to make sure that you like when you issue sentences, it's to make sure that you punish the individual so they don't do it again, right? That's the whole point, right? It's not just to whip you and have you toil in fields and take your fingernails off one by one, right? That's that's torture. What The whole point of a correctional system is to make sure that you get the help you need to not do it again and to come back when you're done learning not to do it again and being 
punished by restricting what you can do when you come back to society that you're a good person, right? That's, that's a whole thing, right? It's like, you're not going to throw a kid into jail for stealing a lipstick. And I say it again, I, I, I say it because it's like, that's like the, the one thing that, um, stuck to my head once when I was a kid, um, I was at Macy's, uh, with my mother and there were lipsticks that were like, uh, you know, open like testers. And so I remember taking the lipstick and trying it on. And my mom was like, that's disgusting. Do you know how many people put their mouths on it? And not only that, I took it. I was like, what? Seven. She was like, you know, you could go to jail for a lipstick. And I was like, well, why? It's free. Everybody can use it. I just want to take it home and use it again. She's like, you're a kid. Why are you going to have purple lips? And I was like, I'm going to be like Madonna. And, you know, that stuck with me because something simple like a lipstick, why you lifted it is because I felt that since it was out there, I could just take it. And this leads back to just because it's there doesn't mean you should do it, right? And so this guy, just because it was there doesn't mean he should do it, right? He had access to Senate, sensitive information in the Senate. So he had access to it. He had access to everything. Just because it's there doesn't mean you should do it. For me, for example, I work with multiple person's personal identifying information on a daily basis. Uh, you know, uh, when I'm... Uh, doing my work, I will have a person's address, date of birth, social security number, the, the whole nine yards, right? Whole nine yards. So the information is there, right? It's all there. Does that mean because it's there, I should just take it and use it? No, because that's dishonest, right? That's not, that's not being a member of society for good. Uh, you know, that's not, you know, doing things right. I don't scribble these numbers down while on a phone call on a paper and leave it there. I'll probably put it through a shutter or I'll probably type it on a screen where then I delete it, you know, and to keep my notes. Right. But once I'm done with what I'm doing, I have to get rid of it because I respect that privacy. I respect that information. Here's Q in Costco. How do you fix Costco, who is very privileged, who had access to this information and took it. And not only did he take it, but he exploited it, right? He exploited it to the point where he put members of the Senate in danger, physical danger. How do you do that? And, and, and countless other sensitive information that he must have had, like communications, etc., that caused the judge to actually ban the media from the hearings, because there was no media allowed in the hearings. You could only hear what was said afterwards and not during testimony couldn't be shown because there was sensitive information, right? You don't put that stuff out in the open, people's address, phone numbers, social security numbers. You don't put that stuff out there. That's against the law. You don't put information like, oh, Costco had an ear infection. That's a HIPAA violation. I'm just saying these are all things that need to stay in private. Now, Costco had access to a lot of things. Imagine he had full-blown access to the Senate database to download whatever he wanted. So now that the deal, the plea agreement hearing happened and the deal is officially signed, you know, they're going to convene again on April 5th to talk. Hey, yeah, we signed it. Now that it's been signed, the information he's exchanged for it is there. Remember Costco, right? Was the one that felt that he had right to everything. There was a, um, an, uh, Hassan's aide who actually caught Costco in the act of taking all these things. And he said, I own everything. If you tell anyone, I'll leak it all. Emails, signal conversations, Gmail. He threatened. 
you know, people be like, Ooh, that's like privilege. Well, it's not, it's just how safe they feel that they can get away with these things. This is basically what happens. People are so comfortable that they feel that they can get away with having information, extorting people, blackmailing people, harassing people. You know, people thought all he got was addresses. No, he didn't. He got everything. As a senator, your phone uploads your information, all your communications back to the cloud, especially if it's from the government phone. Your emails, gmails, whatever you access through a computer that's government owned or issued definitely is even stroke copying, meaning every letter that you type is being keyed. This is why, you know, when you're doing things like I have, I have multiple computers. There's one computer that no one, it it barely sees the light of day on the internet where I store all my information. No one would ever get to that computer because that is because everybody can see what you're even typing in the search bar. And sometimes smart people will type whatever they want in the search bar just to make people think that they don't know or, you know, to mislead. This is all the information that Costco had. This is where I'm getting at. So he had all of this and he went to the judge and, you know, he suggested, you know, he was crying about it. He was saying how sorry he is, but, you know, the judge wasn't having it. At all. And so it was understood through the hearings throughout these past months that he had more information than anyone would ever realize. Than anyone would ever realize. We're talking Twitter DMs, Facebook DMs, uh, um, YouTube watches, what they liked, what they followed, the whole nine yards. He had a bunch of insurance on a lot of people. Now, like I said... His daddy is a powerful dude, a powerful dude, very powerful dude. Um, and he's on the board of San Francisco state university too. not only building the building, but he's on the board and guess who he sits on that board with, with, uh, you know, the dude, Kamala Harris allegedly slept with, knelt with whatever you want to call it campaigned in air quotes with, you know, Willie Brown to get to where she is. So this is all part of the click. Remember we talked about varsity blues and the network of people that know each other. Scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Going back to the Amazon article that I dropped, uh, that not a lot of people saw, you know, only, you know, tens of thousands. It should be out there that this varsity blues stemmed from the Jedi cloud contract. That is how they came to the varsity blues because that came back. Amazon came back to WAPO. WAPO came back to Kaplan. Kaplan came back to educational stuff, tied into other educational stuff, fraud, 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 et cetera. And it's all run by Anita Dunn, who was the wife of Robert Bauer, who was Barack Obama's personal attorney. Another topic. We'll talk about that next week when it comes into light more. Now, focusing on Costco, he signed this plea deal uh, with, uh, with, with the government, which means that he's probably giving up a lot of big information or maybe information that he collected. And what I am seeing is that this complex, you know, intricate information that he collected, which is hundreds and hundreds of terabytes of data, 
includes a lot of big people, right? There's a lot of metadata too. And I can tell you that we're going to see Avenatti pop up again here. Because the one thing we remember of Dianne Feinstein before this guy was downloading information about senators because he wanted to get back at them for what? For supporting Justice Kavanaugh is that she sat on an email that she didn't know, that kind of knew, that didn't know, that, huh? And we saw um, Q Music, Avenatti comes in. He's got all these women. He's paying them. He's finding them. He's supporting them. He's pushing them against Justice Kavanaugh. This is where it's going to come down to, guys. We're going to be revisiting... So we've already seen the hoax that the Democratic Party created in regards to this Mueller investigation, right? Totally killed the credibility of the fake news network, totally killed the credibility of the Democrats who are still trying to make something out of nothing. There was no there there. This is the next step. This is how you annihilate the fake news and the Democrats by demonstrating that they've done this again, that they colluded together to create, you know, Dr. Ford's testimony, that they convinced her, that they paid for it, that they orchestrated the whole thing. Because when people see even even the, you know, the the extreme granola munching, Birkenstock, never cut your hair, armpit shaved women that were like, we believe her. When they see that they've found these women, they orchestrate, they coach them on their stories. They try to get this information together and put it together to stymie the election of Justice Kavanaugh. It will be the nail on the coffin for them. It's done. Their credibility is zero. And see, it's people like idiot Schiffy, right, who is so full of Schiff, right, that he's still pushing the idea that this Mueller report has more to it and I need to see all of it. And they're still pushing this. And this would be the best slap in the face that you guys orchestrated this me too movement. You guys orchestrated the fake Dr. Ford with the two doors and the whatnot and all these other people that came forward, but last minute pulled out. Remember Avenatti's crazy woman that was talking about gang rape trains and how she was getting high or not getting, it was ridiculous or trying to get his friends involved and who they blackmailed to get who on the record. This is all going to come out because this is how you do deals. Justice is not about locking you up and throwing away the key, but making sure you understand and you own it. See, when people don't execute justice, they own it. When you've done something wrong, you should own it. Good and bad. Right? Good and bad. So this is all coming down. We've got Feinstein in that, but we've got more. See, the one thing people don't seem to understand is that uh, years ago, how quick we forget, right? There were candidates in California that went after a campaign treasurer. They found her guilty for defrauding $7 million out of, you know, high profile people. Kindy Durkee. You remember her? Do you guys remember that? She like supposedly ran off with money from big people like Feinstein, right? They framed her back in 2012. Do you guys remember that? No, you don't. Not a lot of people were talking about it. I would probably think that it would be in the best interest for our government to kind of take a look at her scheme, the trust of her victims that included Feinstein, other members of Congress and lawmakers who claim they lost four and a half million dollars. Let's rewind. 
Do you know why she went to jail in 2012? It had nothing to do with scheming them out of money. Because if the U.S. attorney back then, Wagner, who believed that the actual fraud was like $10 million, and he called her Bernie Madoff of campaign treasurers, actually, look, the problem they had is that she had too many goods on them and raised questions. She went to the proper authorities and they nailed her. This is where our FBI... Our investigators pay a visit to Ms. Durkee unless, you know, she catches a bout of suicide. And this is very important that I mention it. Because this money that they so-called claimed in California to lose was not money that they were entitled to. Remember how Avenatti was skimming off of his clients, right? We need to be paying more attention. Because this whole thing comes back to Diane Feinstein. What if I tell you it ties back to a company? Because so does Costco. He was also with who? Rep Lee, right? Jackson Lee was is her name. Um, he has so much on these people, it's ridiculous. And it ties back to Southwest Key Programs. You know what Southwest Key Programs is? It's a program down in Arizona and Texas where they take in illegal immigrants mostly minors right so jackson costco has a lot of goods but this dirty chick has way more and what's funny is is that the people that run south key programs you know for some reason um miss lee was trying to create a relationship with president trump and Southwest Key Programs. And this program has been approved by Homeland Security, Border Patrol, and all these others to have these these groups, these, these, these programs to bring in all these foreigners. They tried to make it seem like he's the one funding them and they're the ones wrong. But El Presidente, Dr. Juan Sanchez, comes back to all of them. And I hear in the pipeline that Dr. Juan Sanchez may have stepped down as CEO and the founder of Southwest Key in 1987. This is how far back it goes. This illegal immigration, this capitalization on human and child trafficking is huge. And that is what we're going to touch upon talking Jeff Merkley, kids going missing, secret programs that we're supposedly funding that he went to see how the pilot went. Um, along with uh, Rep Correa. I'll see you all in a few. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, 
The more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. MyPillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable MyPillow is with its patented interlocking fill. MyPillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Okay, guys, before I delve into Jeff Merkel, uh, first of all, I'd like to say welcome back. This is my last half hour, so if the president is going to call in, he'd probably call at this time. Um, But I wanted to remind everyone, you can always find me here, uh, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And you can also uh, follow me on Twitter and Gab at uh, Tori underscore says. Uh, now I just wanted to say this morning, uh, as usual, I have my coffee. I go through, uh, paperwork for my, um, paying job and listen to a bunch of like different police scanners, look at my scoops, get on my discords and everything. Right. So I came across this weird phone in someone called the police and said that, um, there were people dead. They found a lot of people dead. And so the police were called to the scene. Uh, the scene was uh, a building, RJR, RJR Management, used to be called Bismarck Property or something like that. Um, family owned. They rent storage units, um, apartment complexes, and everything. Now, RG, RGAR is on a list of where, you know, it's part of like this dossier that we've created tracking down these pedo networks as one of the places where these um, groups uh, 
rent apartments and or storage units um, for these traffickers or to stash the children, the women, and the boys that they traffic. Usually these are coming from um, most of the people that would visit those uh, that area of apartments would be coming from, you know, Standing Rock Reservation. Um, so they would be coming from Fort Yates, basically. And so uh, the minute I saw that, I was like, ooh, that's on the list. Let me check. Okay, obviously radio silence. Suddenly the news break out. Hey, we've got report of multiple dead bodies. The police aren't telling us what happened. Now, obviously without gunshots or anything, my first thing was either they poisoned all of them or they were slit throats. Uh, because there was no, um, no report of shootings. So this brings to the, the carpet, basically, where is the mainstream media just nationwide? If you have a slaying like this, this is kind of news, especially when it comes to a place with property rentals that have been under investigation. Uh, so it's, and not saying that the owners had anything to do with it. It's not like they all know what's going on. You're just renting stuff, right? So let's not, you know, assume that, but you know, the majority of time they're always in on it, you know, for that extra cash and whatever. So, uh, you know, I was thinking, wow, they're probably taking out witnesses because we've seen a rise in child and human trafficking rings, uh, coming out. Like I keep telling people what is going on in this uh, super quiet town. And I was having a conversation with Scott Adams talking about it. What's going on in this super quiet, you know, state, People just think everyone's like a redneck that goes hunting and has cows. Man, this place is like so nefarious and possibly because it's so remote and scarce and apart. But um, things are coming up to the surface and it's not looking good. So I thought I'd give you that breaking news. I don't know if they're even going to report it. I mean, there's really, really hush-hush. Um, I heard from sources that it's multiple persons, um, you know, upwards of five, there's people missing, uh, that the owner was possibly one of them that has come up deceased. This is still developing, but I thought I'd let you guys know, cause I tweeted about it in the morning, uh, when it came up, um, and I was pretty busy this morning making a lot of phone calls. So anyway, let's continue on the border. Because that's the interesting part. And this all ties into trafficking anyway. So like we've said many, many times before, trafficking goes both ways. It's not just bringing in children. It's bringing out children too. And they're targeted by specific needs or requests of what these children are. They're not just randomly plucked off the street. They case, they have to fit some sort of profile, either be hair color, genetic makeup, whatever. Well... If you guys remember, I had a show with um, Cindy Gomez-Shemp. You can look it up. It's usually on, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, just browse through. I always upload my live shows. And it was an investigative kind of discussion. And she even wrote a piece on ToriSays.com where we had a pastor of the Agape Center uh, tell us about, you know, all these children, the, the issues that they're having with illegal immigration in Tijuana and all that stuff. Well, I'm almost done with this article that I've been composing because it's so highly complex, but this is where it's going to knock your socks off. After my radio show and after her posting, uh, Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon and Representative Correa from California reached out to this specific pastor. 
They sent him a letter from the U.S. consulate in Mexico telling him that they will be visiting him on the 20... I can pull up the letter, actually, so I can read it to you. Um, well, it's in Spanish, so I'll just kind of summarize it for you. Um, that they're going to be coming and visiting him. We saw Jeff Merkley also tweet out on his Twitter how... Um, he was, you know, that there's an emergency at the border, but not what the president is saying. And he was referring to children. Now, keep in mind that many, many children have gone missing. And when I say this, it's not kind of like, oh, yeah, they have the like we have pictures of these children. Nobody knows where they are. They leave with certain persons and then they're never to be seen again. And people question like, hey, where where that kid go? There's children that are in Tijuana that are 15-year-old females that have babies between the age of one and three. So imagine how young they had these babies. That, and these young children, these teenage girls, 15, 14, with babies, are coming from places like El Salvador and Guatemala. All organized, all staying in like these secret apartments that they're being held in and then trafficked out of. Now, uh, it was determined that there was one guy from Guatemala and we have his ID actually that was found to have trafficked, you know, that, that pride that took pride in actually moving illegal immigrants over the border. And why do I say we have his ID? Well, this person is doing it with our money. They are literally using the aid that we've been paying to Mexico, Guatemala, and El Salvador to maneuver and move, move humans across the border. Literally. And so the president cutting that aid is very, very important. Because here's where the kicker is. Obviously, I sent out this, you know, letter from, uh, you know, this, from the consulate to many, um, Many news organizations that had uh, the ability and the money and the and probably the resources to get down there and see uh, this meeting. So they met on Sunday, the 17th of March, between 1 and 2. So what we did was, um, obviously, Cindy has her sources. I have my sources and talking together. I mean, she's just Amazing! You guys should follow her, um, Cindy Gomez Shemp. She has um, eighty-eight point one FM in Fargo, and her show is called "A Mexican Crossing Lines." Now, what I want to bring to your attention is this guy named Nicholas Esteban. He's from Guatemala, and even Border Network News, which is like a man, you know, citizen-created news site on Facebook posted pictures of him and said, if you see him in the United States, he's trafficking people. He is from, you know, he's trafficking, he's accused of kidnapping and trafficking the city of Guana, you know, and there's a video of him. I have his identification and the identification that I'm referring to is that the Mexican government for every single person that crosses their border or is an overstay immigrant, they're required to get um, uh, an identification from the Department of Immigration. So basically, they check them, they verify their identity, they take, you know, their um, biometrics like iris, DNA, fingerprints, the whole nine yards, and then they issue them an identification. So I have this guy's identification because he's actually on the payroll. He's on the payroll and he is allowed to be, you know, in the zone of humanitarian effort. So that's where he's hanging out.
And he's trafficked children that are going missing. Now, here's another source from the Mexican Police Department advised that Je- Senator Jeff Merkley has this secret program with a Mexican authority, and I haven't been able to determine it. And I advise this information to ICE and USCIS and Border Patrol, and, I'm, and um, uh, I sent it to Secretary Nielsen, that this gentleman, this senator from Oregon, has a secret unaccompanied minor program, the ATUM program. Uh, the ATUM program is um, assisting assistance of, oh, hold on, America's transfer of unaccompanied minors. So children that are coming from El Salvador, unaccompanied, Guatemala, unaccompanied, or wherever, unaccompanied, that come through Mexico, they come to some form of Mexican authority or group where they petition on the minor's behalf to have them cross the border or to give them citizenship or bringing them into the U- U.S. Now, these kids are kids with without parents or kids with kids, which is disgusting. So what's funny is, is that the Senator doesn't want anyone to know because it may be air quote controversial. Of course it is. Of course it is. And when you put it in, in, um, in tangent with what's going on, you know, with these, um, with these uh, facilities like Southwest key programs, you know, they were found to have drugged that 10 year old Guatemalan boy, you know, where their job is simply to have justice programs, youth justice programs. They're diddling with kids. They are literally messing with children. This is a humanitarian crisis. And we have the Democrats creating programs or facilitating or creating new avenues of how to move children into our country and pump them into our foster care system, which, by the way, are where the majority of children go missing. They're not usually from families with white picket fences. They're the ones that are going from home to home that people just assume ran away and they just leave it. And then you find remains of them 10, 20 years down the line. If you find remains. This is disgusting. Why are these people need to call this senator the carpet? And and the thing is, he had the audacity to write a medium post about the children at the border and how affected they are. And look at these pictures of these bunk beds. Dude, at least they have somewhere to sleep in that church, let alone those secret apartments that are being rented throughout Mexico, housing children that are being raped and then moving them across the border. By people that they pay to move them across the border. This is something that I'm hoping, I mean, obviously, if I know it, and obviously, if Cindy knows it, we're pretty sure that the Department of Homeland Security knows it. And here's the funny thing. We've got a whole effort from the Democratic part to push these children across. Senator Jeff Merkley is in is working in cahoots with Al Otro Lado, which I've told you before is a group of people. There's leaked information on them. You could put Al Otro Lado on Twitter and find leak and you could put leaked DHS documents, which will come up. They have faces of people that claim to be lawyers or just justice advocates or El Salvadorian citizens or Honduran citizens that are working with democratic officials, officials, elected persons of the democratic party to move children across the board. This is preposterous. This is disgusting. 
We do need to shut this border down. And then we have crazy people like Ilhan Omar using pictures where they push kids up against a fence to say how we're, but we are at capacity. You guys are getting greedy. We're actually controlling the flow and you're bringing more. This is an invasion and it's being done on purpose. And the thing is, where is Mexico? Mexico is still not in control. The president is put in forced, has enforced this immigration policy of identification. We have the Democrats saying, well, since Mexico did their homework, We should approve their identification and not do our checks. Just let them in and they'll come to court. Sure, they will. This is what they're doing. They're trying to invade us. Why? What are they doing a last push for? I mean, it's like it's like a drug addict that's on their last line of coke. That's basically how the Democratic Party is in regards to the border. It's done, dude. There's no more. We're finishing this up. We're building the wall. You can't get any more children. You can't get any more bodies across the border. You're done. Why this big push? Because they want to make it look like they're the humanitarians by opening the border. They're trying to, they're using that card. That if we flood the border with all these people, all these children that we are bringing unaccompanied. So maybe they're being kidnapped from El Salvador. I don't see many parents that will just hand over nine-year-olds like that. I mean, there's a few of them, but not many. I mean, if you've had a baby, you know, you will not let it go that easy. I mean, I've been in presence of people where they're like, take my kid. And it's like, uh, no, that would be a crime. So, you know, there are people like that, but how many thousands of these children that are coming across, I guarantee you these kids have been snagged. There is no way that they haven't been because the amount of children coming through to our borders and coming through to Mexico that are in these secret apartments that Jeff Merkley took tours of but he claimed that they were like what shelters, right? Um, is ridiculous. They know the operatives like Tijuana's news station is reporting these things. Their newspapers are reporting these things, but our people aren't. They're just claiming things like Ilhan Omar says like, oh my gosh, it's so horrible to see them and we must let them all in. No, look what happened to Europe. <laughs> we're not having that. We're not going to let you push through and demand that we eradicate our borders. Our borders are there for a reason. For every 10 children that have been kidnapped or voluntarily sent off to the border of the U.S., you've got one coyote that rapes them, that has drugs, that has been paid to do that. He's a bad person. What kind of person makes a living by taking a child 3,000 miles on foot to take them to a border and hand them over to someone they don't know. What kind of person does that? Not a very good person. That's for sure. Not a very good person would make a living off of that. Not a very good person would see a 13-year-old with a baby on her hip that's her child and say, mm, business as usual. These people are bad people. Bad, 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 bad. They should not be allowed to be anywhere near our borders. And the fact that there is a Mexican authority working with the Democrats to create a program to bring uh, these unaccompanied minors across our border is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. They're using our tax money to do this. These perverts. These sick individuals are being paid with our tax dollars to mule children over 
Have you ever seen Southwest Key programs? Just going to their page looks so simple and so remedial. But take a look at them. Children's services, community engagement, justice youth programs, vice president of human resources. You know, they all look creepy. These are all women. They're disgusting. How can you be a woman and be okay with this? What kind of person do you have to be to be in all this turmoil and hate and pain? These are children. They're innocent children. And people see them as commodities. Representative um, Jackson, she... Uh, I'm so glad that maybe Costco gave some info on her because he worked with her too, right? So she is horrible. She tried to credit the, the president for giving ICE funds and whatnot to this program that has been well-established since 1987, right? That it's his fault. You know, with that Guatemalan boy that I was saying being drugged, the president stopped this stuff. He totally stopped funding them. He stopped funding them completely. He completely stopped funding them. Why? Because of what they're doing. It takes a while, right? Because see, the way organized criminal networks that are part of the government, that work for the government, that make money off the government, that are contractors with the government, this deep state, they are so good at hiding their tracks. So good at cooking the books. So good at making sure that they're putting in the right words. Give you an example. My city's broke right? Super broke, like in debt, like nobody's business, like zero operating capital, zero. They're like going long on debt, short on debt. They've got nothing. All they have is like these grants, these funds or whatever. So while they're broke and they've increased taxes again, so first it was 38% increase. Now we got another 38% increase in property tax. They decide we want to send, you know, two people from the city to Norway to examine their recycling procedures. And we're going to use, you know, national disaster resilience grant funds. Like how does that tie in with what happened with the flood and how we're going to revolatize the community after a flood of you going to Norway and see how they recycle stuff when the European Union's laws have nothing to do with American laws. So the question here lies, and it's the same question I brought up to the authorities of HUD, of FEMA, and of the program itself is how did they submit this so you release the funds? Because I don't see how gallivanting somewhere does it. And that's the way it is. It's kind of like the employee that goes out to the titty bar and spends $300 and classifies it as entertainment. He gives you a receipt. But if you don't look at what that restaurant slash bar is, you're going to think he really took clients out to eat. When in essence, he went to the titty bar and got drunk. So this is the way they operate. They file things according to how it needs to be just to extract the monies that they want or to meet the requirements to be funded. This is what happens. Oh, we help like place 20, 20 kids. Where'd you place in a mental institution? But we still just place them. It's just placed period. This is how they operate. Oh, we needed to get office supplies. And if you ask for the receipt, they'll give you a general receipt. You look at the general receipt and you see they didn't buy pens, markers, or sticky notes. They bought tires, you know, 
this is why audits are necessary. And what happened was the president's team did audits of all these contracts for these border lining companies that are working with children. And when the president tells you that we have a national emergency, when he talks about these children and the women that are being brought over, he is dead serious. Because this goes beyond those disgusting, you know, individuals that look like something out of a movie with like non-shaven beards that rape everything in front of them, that do lines of coke for breakfast. It goes beyond those individuals that stuff them in containers and trunks of cars. It goes to those in suits and ties that import them a different way or buy them off of these clowns, these disgusting, low-level human beings. And then groom or shape or cause them to fall into that facet of being what they want them to be in the end. Either that be sexual slavery, food, experimental object, whatever. Or, you know, like that woman in Illinois from, where was she, Honduras or Guatemala, where she had like 41 people in her house as slaves. I've talked about this before. They bring them in, they take their passports and they threaten to deport them back to wherever or send them out on the street and say, you go figure it out while they rape them. They make them cook, clean, rub their feet, go shopping. How many times have I made examples like this? Tons of them. This is the problem we're having guys. There are really bad human beings and I hate it that we just don't face it. Not all of us are bad. We're human beings and we're innately good, but there are really bad people and it usually stems from power. The minute someone has power, that's it. Like there's people, for example, that I voted for to go into my state legislation, right? They were all power to the people, all ah, constitution, I'm the stock caucus, I'm just this, this. And those same people, now that they've got a little bit of power a few years in, guess what they did? They pushed a bill that says that we shouldn't have any access to any email communications between legislators and state officials. Well, where's the transparency? Oh, yeah, you don't need to see my gym membership, but you're not talking with, like, I don't know, uh, the, the treasurer of the state or the insurance commissioner about, you know, your gym membership. You're talking about things like, you know, if you're on a board, like a committee for the DOT, the DOT is telling you what they want. So they're influencing your vote. That's what we need to see. But that's what happens when people get power. When people get power, they ride on this horse and it's only a matter of time until the horse flips up and it goes right up them. That's the way it is. Power is what they work at. Power is what they have. And power is how they do this. And the only way to remove power is to stop their source of income. And right now, the source of a lot of suits, a lot of ties, and a lot of big, deep state clowns that are in elected positions. Don't forget, 22,000 acres of border property that is undeveloped is owned by Beto. That border, Texas, where we have the most trafficking. This is what has to happen. You cut their source. You question it, you push on it until you box them in and stop it because power is a drug that every human is susceptible to. I mean, all of us are, all of us are, and me included. On that note, we'll talk tomorrow. Hopefully we'll see the first indictment fly out of this Feinstein Costco and too bad the president didn't call today. I really wish he would have made the time to, but hey, you never know. I might get a call later. (laughs)
Wishful thinking. It's April Fools. Don't forget. That means it's National Democrat Day. Only fools are celebrated today, and that's one thing we're not, is fools. We finally have a president in office that is fighting for us and with us. From all of us here at Red State, I wish you a great evening and a wonderful afternoon to start with, right? God bless from all of us here at Red State. Thanks for tuning in. See you tomorrow.